welcome to Playful Joy, a parenting podcast without the guilt. My name is Charlene Nicole, and I've been a teacher for more than 10 years. I have two children of my own, and I've been working with children since I began babysitting around the age of 13. Um, I've also worked with children with special needs in daycares, preschools, and uh, one very special foster home. I wanted to start this podcast because I wanted to rediscover the joy of parenting and being with my children again, and just share funny stories to make you laugh. I want to help dispel the myths of perfection you see on social media and remove shame and blame from this parenting game. My goal is to help you feel that you're not the only one who feels like you don't know what you're doing. You're not the only one who's wondering how life with children isn't what you thought it would be. This podcast gives helpful tips, tricks, and advice to help you with whatever life with kids throws your way. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you love it. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm back again with Angus Wilson, and we're here to talk about starting up school again. We've all heard about it, and I'm sure you're trying to make a decision, as I am, as we all are, a decision that's best for our family and um, also fits with the choices we have. Angus is the superintendent of Mission Public Schools, um, and we had a chat last time, but I feel like it it goes across across districts and across provinces and we're all dealing with the same thing thank you for coming back oh my pleasure happy to be here again awesome um the last episode was really well received and people are still listening to it and i think it's i think it's helping which is the goal of this podcast is just just to help other parents so um let's start with let's start with the facts um the facts that um my principal sent over to me were that most children and youth are not passing COVID-19. So the first and most foremost question that I keep getting is, why? Why risk it? Why open full-time, full scope? Right. I think there's several different questions there. There's sort of scientific and political. And then I'll go with the scientific part first, if that's all right, which is that Wonderful. it is very unusual for children, especially younger children, to be vectors for COVID. It, it does happen, but it's, it's quite rare as a percentage. But of course, as a parent, you know, you're, you're worried about that 1%, not the 99% aspect of things. And, and right. that's, that's natural and understandable. But at a sort of systems level, that's what people um, are, are looking at, but that's different than your individual level. And I look at severe cases of um, COVID and the United Kingdom, which is, I think, the hardest hit Western country, even worse than the United States on a percentage ratio or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they, um, they have about double the population of Canada. And they had, um, I believe, five or six cases of people under 18 uh, passing away from COVID, which is very significant, of course, but in, relative to the, the larger population, of course, that's that's a 60 million person population. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not at zero risk, but it's very low at the macro level. Yes, yes. And and that's what we hear too. And, and, and the other thing just to add in is, mm-hmm. and those are all, of course, tragedies, but all of those children had underlying uh, issues and so on. But of course, I'm a parent. I have three kids of my own. You, you have to think about yeah, but me, you know, of right. course, right? right? So that leads into the political part, why open? And, and I think that, uh, to be clear, this isn't a Mission Public Schools decision or Langley School decision. This is a Ministry of Education and Provincial Government decision. 
to move us to stage two and have schools open in a more or less regular fashion except with various rules around social distancing and so on. Um, but they're looking at the big view that people need to have school uh, for themselves. Parents need to have school for their children mm -hmm. and they need sort of the system to continue to operate so that right. we can continue to have all the other things that we have in our society. Right, and that brings up a good point that the Ministry of Education is making decisions that are the best possible for the group for the group as a whole, right? So for British right. Columbia as a whole, for all of society, they're making the best possible decision. And then underneath that umbrella, families are given choices that right. they can make. So it, it has been said that we need to, everyone is to send their children back to school, but that with that comes a whole host of decisions for families and everyone's is very individual. Right, and it's additionally challenging because the decisions are very individual, but also the communication has been, I'd say, very individual. So for example, we've had um, different communications from different individuals at the Ministry of Education about what's permissible and what isn't. Mm -hmm. And just terminology gets thrown around. So for example, when people say the words homeschooling, mm -hmm. um, there is actually a thing called homeschooling and it's not generally what people think they're talking about when they say homeschooling. Uh, another one that's buzzing right now is the term remote learning. And there are multiple definitions to what that is. So you can sort of be having an argument with someone about whether or not something is remote learning or homeschooling and so on, because right. it means so many different things and, and what's permissible and how much support there is and so on for it. And we have 60 different school districts and goodness knows yeah. how many independent schools all also making their own plans and saying here's your options in this location that are similar to but slightly different from this other location. Mm -hmm. So not only are there a lot of choices, there's a lot of confusion yes. for uh, parents. I think it's a lot of confusion for superintendents too to be honest. I think and I, th I mean it's always that way. Um, education has been that way. It's set up provincially, right? It, it's structured provincially and then under that it goes district and then right. under that it goes into each individual school and that is a positive way to set up schooling because every town every group of children has their own needs and their own values and I think that's positive and it's causing confusion right now and we're all frustrated by the system but we have to look at the positive side we have to yeah. know why that is it is positive there's an interesting thing if you look broadly historically that systems tend to decentralize over time and that makes for good local decisions about an issue but in a time of crisis you actually you need a certain amount of centrality to have a sense of order and right. an example would be something like World War II, um, you know, the, the federal governments of many countries became uh, to have a lot more power than they normally would have. And, uh, and that was good and made sense during that wartime. And then afterwards, they started to decentralize again. The trouble is in that first sort of stage of figuring out what should be centrally yeah. controlled and what needs to be a local decision as well. And we're hitting up against that um, mm -hmm. right now. And of course, people look across boundaries to another another province or another school district and say, well, they've got this neat thing. Right. Well, that's true. They do have that neat thing, but they also don't have this other neat thing that we have. And right. that's a struggle too. It's the grass is always greener on the other side. It is isn't always it? greener and, indeed. And that's just COVID. I think we all need to just give some grace for the fact that yeah. we are all running ragged and we've all been dealing with COVID in our own individual yeah. ways, in our jobs, in our marriages, in our relationships with everyone in our grocery stores so we're already depleted right. and now things are coming up and it, it's so easy to start pointing blame and uh, pointing fingers at look what they have yeah. and absolutely and just a couple of things on this first is you know it was um 
nine days ago from right now, the minister made a statement that had used the word flexibility mm -hmm. in it. And immediately a number of parents glommed onto that naturally and said, okay, right. where's, sure. where's my flexibility? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because everybody's come up with a different solution. But, you know, for example, some of our neighboring districts have made a sort of transitional hybrid program available, which is wonderful. And parents got very excited by it. Mm -hmm. And then they also found out, well, this comes to an end. Like you have to be full-time back right. to school by the end of November. Well, that's not what I want. Well, but that's what that school district came up because they've had literally a week yeah. to figure out a plan um, to put in place and, mm -hmm. you know, with only promises of additional funding, not any actual additional funding. Right. And so then, as you say, all of us have been under stress and strain in our personal lives and our professional lives and so on. There's people without work. Mm -hmm. um, there's people with too much work and, mm -hmm. um, and the struggle of getting all those all those pieces to fit together and just wanting some certainty in the world yeah. and of course this is just one more uncertainty as right. this district is doing this thing this other district's doing this other thing i just want my child to be safe mm -hmm. and get an education right it's it's interesting you say safe i'm i've been mostly a substitute since having children and that's what i always say i always say your your parent handed you off to me now my job is to keep you safe for the day that's always my number one yes i'm here to educate you yes we're here to have fun Safety is my number one concern, right. and and I do think that this district definitely and other districts have been putting that first and foremost, and I think that's kind of been put to the side. Like parents saw this chunk of money and thought, okay, it can go to this and it can go to that, and I want to have a say, and they do, but also remember that a big chunk of that is going to increase custodians to in, install hand sanitizing stations right. or supply masks for students, all these things that... That money wasn't it, there. It's just a couple of interesting insights. So we've had, we've received or are hoping to receive two mm -hmm. separate chunks of, if you will, bonus money this year. Yeah. This district received about $480,000 uh, from the provincial government. And this is essentially for COVID mitigation. So this is, as mm -hmm. you say, additional resources, um, uh, additional staff. And by the way, hard to get staff right now. I know. Um, anyone out there listening who would like to be a BSW, a custodian for our school district, let us know. We're looking for more. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's there's that uh, consideration and 480,000 it's better than a kick in the head yeah. um, but it's not as much money as I know in our personal lives that sounds like a lot of right. money but it isn't Especially in a, in a, now. <laughs> yeah in a big system and then equally um, we will get about two million dollars from the federal government in a very unique and unusual circumstance that we've uh, one got this one-time funding mm -hmm. so we've wanted to put a lot of that into teachers and yeah. and other educational supports um, and we're doing that everything from French immersion DL support, which is not a thing that ever existed before, to... Um, DL is... Uh, sorry, that's distributed learning. learning yeah. um, and other uh, distributed learning teachers, as well as a First Nations outreach teacher and so on, mm -hmm. and um, which is all great, but it, it adds up quickly. Right. Um, uh, Ten teachers is a million bucks. And so if you're only getting $2 million, it, it comes quickly. We recently right. purchased another school bus um, and that's another thing to think about is having fewer kids on a school bus. Um, but one school bus, that one was $177,000, mm. which is a little bit more than my Volkswagen Golf is worth, right? So, yeah. you know, it's, it, I'm very grateful for the money and I don't want to sound <laughs> like when I was, meh, it's not enough, but it's never it's enough. It's never, it's never enough. And you could it's take, you could take all of the funding that British Columbia received from the federal government, about $240 million. If you gave it to the school district of Surrey, it would not create a full kind of stage three equivalent hybrid model for that school mm. district. 
right? So the money is welcome and received, but it can't do all things for all people that right. we would all like to have, yeah. right? No, and that's the case always. You're never going to make yeah. everyone happy. And I mean, the teachers union does support using the money to hire more teachers, more educational assistants, and more custodial staff. So yeah. that that is in line with what they're stating as well. But let's let's break it down a little bit okay. and um, talk about the acronyms. Okay. <laughs> it's a uh, that's a teacher joke. There's yeah. an acronym for everything. There's an acronym for everything. <laughs> okay, so the choices in the Mission Public School District, just to be clear, this is mission specific, mm-hmm. are regular school placement. So that yes. is, I choose to send my child back to their school of choice or neighborhood school wherever right. they are registered, and they attend school based on the plan that's put in place. Right, grade three student in a grade three class and so on. Absolutely, yes. So that's number one. Number two is what you just uh, said, DL, or distributed learning. So that comes from Summit Learning Center in Mission. Correct. And so I thought before I did my research for this episode that my choices were regular school or homeschooling. And we've been using homeschooling as, so when my teacher sent me a, lesson plan and I delivered it to my student, my child. Um, (laughs) And then I called that homeschooling. Right. And we all did a disservice to all the teachers when we did that because that is not homeschooling. That's not homeschooling. So to to differentiate, DL has a certified teacher somewhere that's not in your your house Mm -hmm. um, and they create work packages and or online learning opportunities for students. And that by the way, it depends on the age. I mean, kindergarten kids are not online, whereas high school kids are more frequently online things. Right. It's typically not a live stream, by the way. Mm, um, many many DLs, including Summit, traditionally actually have a classroom component where you do go there from time to time. That's sort of been waived during right. COVID for yes. obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but the big key is somewhere um, a teacher that is a certified teacher is creating lesson plans and activities for your child. In real, quote unquote, homeschooling, mm-hmm. you, the parent, are making a determination of the education of your child and you can you can purchase a pre-made package from a bunch of different companies or you can just mm-hmm. do it yourself um, and it's at your um, timelines and discretion what is right. being taught the major limitation with homeschooling is you cannot get your dogwood diploma you can do kindergarten through grade 11 but to get a grade 12 dogwood you have to go to some kind of recognized school so you must transition back before grade 12 correct at right. grade 12 right yeah. Okay, and that is, that's a big differentiation because I, I think parents maybe don't realize that if, you, if you're the teacher, you take the BC curriculum and you decide how to deliver it, that's, that's a lot of work. And I guess most people know that that's what teachers do, but the Summit Learning Center is a great option because right. they're doing that piece for you and or helping, and or helping you do it, Correct. right? Yeah. And then is, do they help with assessment as well? They, they do the assessment they're in mm. in in when you're doing dl okay. the the teacher is determining the the progress of of your child right um, unlike homeschooling where that's you, you, fig- you figuring it out yeah. correct yeah. okay okay that makes sense and then my other question was um for those parents that are asking for this hybrid model yep. so we just stated that summit learning center has a certified teacher who right. you submit the assignments to they give you the assignments, you submit them back to them, they do the assessments, and then in school, children are doing that in class. So to have a hybrid model, 
how does that even work? Your child okay. now has two teachers. So, so as a teacher, so that sounds like a nightmare. So there's different, <laughs> this is again a problem when people say remote and hybrid and what are they talking about? So a couple different examples. Um, one would be that you take uh, the school and you, you sort of break a class into two parts uh, mm-hmm. with one part at home and one part in the school at any given time so you've got reduced numbers. But then what you recognize quickly is you need two teachers or you're burning a teacher out. And that's actually what ha- was happening right. in June where yeah. the classroom teacher was doing both the in-school and not in-school students. And that's not really sustainable over the long term. The ministry's been pretty clear on that. Yes. Um, Another example of a hybrid is actually what we've done uh, at Mission Secondary, and this is a pretty unique solution or resolution to the situation we're in with learning groups, where what they've done there is the students are broken into three or four uh, groups per class. Mm -hmm. So if you were to go into your social studies class on a Monday morning, uh, you would find there'd only be about six other kids in there with you. Um, I'm also in the same social studies class, but I show up the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, the students that are not there are watching a live stream of the lesson and activities and so on. So mm-hmm. you're getting the remote experience and the in-person experience. And for a number of parents, this has been reassuring because their child is only attending the school one or two days a week. Right. So it's reducing exposures and so on. It does have a series of problems with it. One is that um, you're kind of encouraging sage on the stage type education because right. you're kind of on TV all the time. Yeah. The other one is um, there is no real satisfactory solution to being, for example, a woodworking teacher mm. and having, you know, two-thirds of the students not right. in the class right now. So it's not it's perfect, not perfect. by any means, but no. all of the systems struggle with this. Um, other school districts are on what's called the eights program, where you only take one course at a time for 28 days. Right. And, I mean, I love social studies, and I don't love math, and i got to tell you, I think I'd be sick of both after all mm-hmm. day, personally. That's just my take on it. Right. That high school system does sound like it would be easy for children who, because kids are going to get sick with just colds yep. even, and then they'll be out of class. Right. So then if it's online, they have the option to just right. watch the live Absolutely. stream. And so in high school, that's yep. very important. They're not going yep. to miss 14 yep. days of their social studies program because Correct. they have a head cold. And and there is one other kind of hybrid model out there, by the way, I should mention in, in Chilliwack, they've uh, done an interesting hybrid they planned out in June, which is how they got permission for it, where the, the kids are at home half the time and then they're at school half the time. But it's 30 kids or whatever in the class together. Mm -hmm. So if a parent is really concerned about the COVID aspect of things, it still has you with 30 other children or whatever the number is. So Mm -hmm. the word hybrid means a lot of different things for a lot of different people and all of them fix a certain issue, but they don't fix all of the issues. issues. And you'll never get one that works for everybody's uh, concerns. Right. And the middle schools, since we talked about the high schools, they're going one day a week in mission. Nope. Two days? Nope. They're full-time. Um, oh, middle, sorry, middle school. Yeah, middle yeah. school. So the wait, well, almost. Four and a half. I'm actually lying. It's four <laughs> and a half. You caught me. Um, the middle schools have had to go with a quarter system, and they have Wednesday afternoons off to uh, accomplish uh, prep issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and the quarter system the quarter system will work very well if we go to back to stage three or four because the students will be at home and only have to worry about kind of two courses, two courses. at a time. Yes. However, having said that, I go back to what I was saying before, and if I was a 13-year-old boy, and I sometimes think I am, I would, uh, it's challenging to have one class in the all morning and another class all afternoon. That mm. is a lot of uh, time to pay attention to one thing. It's a lot of work for the teacher and so on. So yeah. that is definitely a Keep challenge. Engaged, yeah. And so I know some parents are very excited about the quarter system, and I understand why, but yeah. speaking personally, um, I, I'm not a huge fan. I actually, as a student teacher, saw it in action in Nelson, BC. And I thought it was really exciting for the first 
20 minutes and then I went right. oh this just keeps happening so yeah it's it's the a focus of yeah, that it, age group that's right yeah it's a sacrifice you make f because of the COVID requirement of the learning groups mm -hmm. that we've done it right. um, we wouldn't do it otherwise that yeah way. I, I think there, there are some benefits to focusing on only two courses sure. at a time yeah. as well. You're kind of in it and it's, yeah. it's in the back of your mind and there's not that kind of loss of what we did last week. Okay, let's review before we start again. My know? biggest concern with it actually is the loss of what you did last year. If you take mm. two years of court and you had math right now yeah. and then you don't have math again until next April. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a long that's time. That's true too. Yeah, I mean, again, nothing's perfect. Um, a question that came about high school was, will they increase it? at all this year do you think in this same in the same the stage system is dis, is designed so that it can be um uh, increasable uh, sort of at the snap of fingers the the number one thing that forced our high school and it's a pretty unique high school into this um is the learning groups okay. and so because you're only allowed to interact with a hundred and well we'll call it 119 other people right what happened is we can either um control um, your sort of interaction with people and or get rid of electives. Mm. And so this is why they kind of cut the amount of people down in the class to sort of four or five because the school is a very large school, about 1,400 students and mm -hmm. only grades 10 to 12. Right. And so there are so many elective choices at that school compared to a typical high school that as soon as we start tinkering with it, it all falls apart. Yeah. The other thing is because of the renewed curriculum, there used to only be one English 10. Now there's five to choose from right. and of course students have gone and chosen all these different mm -hmm. English tens yes well we take all that away from them and when we were working on our plan I had to be in communication with the ministry and they weren't happy I'll be honest with mission secondary's plan it mm -hmm. was it's like the lowest amount of time in school right. and I explained we either honor your cohorts or we you know get rid of uh, of the electives the students have chosen that's the nature right. of this kind of school and they got it in the end we okay. had to chat a few times about it yeah but um if we either are told we're at stage one or um the learning group things changes to be say 240 order we can instantly add all those kids back kind of right. the next day huh. it's no problem it's designed to go increase that way yeah and equally of course if we go back to stage three it's not actually that much of a transition for them they're just right. going to continue on and right? at that age they're able to learn online that's another yeah, part of it. They're they're very able to engage right. over a computer. They can yep. focus on their work uh, uh, by themselves individually yep. if they're sick. And so that's a big difference between that's why elementary goes full time and high school goes one day a week is because those students are able to work in that kind yeah. of a situation. Whereas elementary school teachers or elementary school students, I'm sorry, need that interaction. They need me to be saying noticing they're not focused, right. reeling them back in, noticing they didn't grasp that concept and reiterating it to this Absolutely. certain group of children. Yeah. Like it's a very back and forth type of teaching model. Yeah. Whereas a grade, a high school student can come to me and say, I don't get, get this. this. And the other thing I just add in, you know, we did a survey of parents and students and, and staff at the end of June. And there was nothing really definitive from it in terms of, ah, we have exactly 22% want this thing. Mm -hmm. But um, two big themes that came out of it, one was parents expressing their concern and frustration for especially primary kids. Online learning is very difficult for little kids, period. Yes. Um, and if you think about the things you're trying to learn in kindergarten or grade one, they aren't really online things. They're mm -hmm. human social things. Correct. And the other uh, big uh, thing that came out of the survey was basically the message to uh, us of, Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a lot of that. Yeah, recently. I don't disagree with that one either. 
Yes, and that's so true. Everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten, right. that old poem. Yes, yeah. we we need to have them socializing and interacting with yeah. each other. Yeah. yeah. Um, we went over elementary and middle school and high school. And field trips and assemblies are on hold. That's another. Yeah, point. so just on that one, um, I, I wouldn't mind using sports as an example here. Mm-hmm. Um, sport is an important part of uh, children's education, and for some kids, it's kind of that's why I'm here and so on. So the rules with sports currently are you are allowed to play sports with other children in your learning group. So in a typical elementary school, that's kind of two classes. Mm-hmm. So they can play soccer together and so on. What you can't do is play sports with people outside of your learning group or from other schools or other districts. So this has had a significant impact, particularly at the middle and secondary level. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're still going to go ahead with things like hockey academy, but everyone has to understand that everything's different. And we're hoping that maybe by the time those things come around that things have loosened up or whatever. But in the meantime, yeah, there's not going to be the provincial championships or any of that stuff. And I just a shout out to teachers. You know, teachers were all, already trying to work out ways to have kind of sports days and neat events for the kids, and it's awesome they're trying to do that. But under the current guidelines, yeah. it just isn't really doable, right? It, it really isn't. Yeah. I, I I can see that already because of those learning groups and because sport is interactive and it's very close contact yeah. most of them. So they just they just can't do that. Yeah. Um, the learning groups have been another topic mm-hmm. of conversation, and I think it's one of those things you talked about where different language, different um, people stating different things. Um, the learning groups are to keep children's um, interaction with others, the numbers down. Correct. Also for contact tracing. Especially for contact tracing. And this is, and yeah, just first of all in terminology, learning group, platoon, cohort, a lot of military bubble. terms actually. Bubble, yeah. <laughs> I like bubble. It's I the like kindergarten bubble. teacher. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bubble's good. Uh, anyway, um, the major reason for the learning groups, as I understand it, is for contact tracing. So if somebody comes into a classroom and exposes that class to COVID, that Fraser Health or whatever medical group you're with, right. um, knows sort of what to do and who to contact. Mm -hmm. Many parents and educators have worked out when they thought that this was about sort of protecting the school from COVID exposure, they went, well, wait a minute. You know, my child is in this learning group from, you know, kind of 8.30 till 3 o'clock, but then, you know, there's an after-school activity that they belong to and they get on a bus and there's Mm -hmm. on the weekend. And and to be clear, first of all, the school has no control over what you're doing on Saturdays Um, and secondly you know we did try and figure out if we could do buses by learning group and you can't it's just too complicated there's no way to do it Um, so again really the 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 learning groups are designed to slow uh, the progress of a disease if it gets in but also to allow uh, contact tracing and and so on and that's a determination made by Fraser Health about how how seriously they, they take a particular exposure and they, they would know more about the amount of time that there was the exposure and so on because mm-hmm. they know it happened in the grade five class at this school or well, whatever. Well, they need right? to know exactly. Yeah, exactly. They need to find the primary case and then they trace right. it back. And that's been ha- that's what Fraser Health does or right. whatever your health yeah. agency is. And to be clear, that contact tracing does keep us safe. Right. That is what's keeping BC's numbers down. Them doing such a great job of that is what is keeping us all a little bit safer. Right. So while we say learning groups aren't specifically for safety, they, they do help. They have with the that, side effect right? of safety in a sense, right. right? But I think some people thought somehow that this, especially when you use words like bubble, that somehow the 
the bubble protects you mm. from the outside world and it, it doesn't quite work like that right. it we absolutely helps and yeah. especially it slows it down and if you think about if you did get a case into a building and there's hundreds of people there knowing that we only have to kind of focus on this small group rather than the whole thing really does help tremendously right. in figuring it out and that goes back also to some of the earlier examples from australia and so on where when they're looking at vectoring through the school it was largely adults doing it to each other right. and so again that's why we want to keep the adults sort of separated from each other right yeah that study we just we spoke about last episode and there's a new one out that I read last night so they had their term two of schooling in right. New South Wales and there were no secondary cases so they right. had six people yeah. positively um, sorry positively tested for COVID right. and no one of the 520 individuals that they were identified as being in close contact with had a wow. secondary yep. case. So no, that's encouraging. it's not, um, it's one study, it's one place yep. and their levels are lower than ours, but it's very, very positive. Yep. Um, just showing that children aren't passing to children and when children are getting COVID, it's usually from an adult in yep. their family household that's right so because time is the other thing it's closed yes. spaces and also, also time, time is matters yeah. as well well it's yeah. it's a it's a matter of chance you must yeah. touch COVID on that right. surface and then touch your eye nose, right. mouth, ear. Whatever. we all know all the things um so it's also about community awareness so keeping your child safe in that bubble is also following all of dr bonnie henry's rules while right. you're out during the week that keeps us all safe exactly i think yeah I, I mean, I, I and we all have to keep thing. going to the grocery store because, you know, food, right. it's a good thing. But, I mean, the grocery store is an interesting example of where this all kind of interacts. You have people in there with masks. You have people in there without masks. You've got mm -hmm. arrows that people are supposed to follow, people not following them. And, you know, this is an area where there's risk because everybody goes to the grocery store. And so it's an area to be very conscious of this. And as compared to a school that tends to have a more controlled environment, mm -hmm. you can see how a, a grocery store is an area for you to really think about and you really want to wash your hands and so on when you're done there and so on because right. of the nature of it. Right? Yeah, I yeah. think I think that's a good, that's a yeah. good point. And we're all taking our children to playgrounds again and that's wonderful and yeah. great, but it's us mixing on the sidelines, right? right? And we all have to be just still social distancing and still being careful. Yeah. I have one one last question for sure. you. Um, a parent asked about blended families. So they stated, my family unit will be um, impacted by exposure from five cohorts at three different schools. Yep. And we've touched on this already, but um, how, how do we speak to parents who are concerned about the number of bubbles <laughs> or the number of learning yeah. groups in their home? Again, we, we can go back to the evidence and we can talk about the studies and we can give them that information. But this letter was, the letter was steeped in fear. I, do, yeah. I feel it I, and I hear it and I, I I'm think, not sure what else we can say. I, I, I think the thing is that, you know, the schools, I can tell you that the schools are safe, uh, but I can't tell you that they're 100% safe. Right. Just like when you get into your automobile, you run a risk of being in a car accident. You also, if you choose to walk, run a risk of being an accident. Mm -hmm. So nothing in this life is sure. And I think one of the challenges of COVID is this is the first giant uncertainty that we've faced mm -hmm. uh, in many decades. And so we can assure people that we're doing our very best and making sure people wash their hands and, you know, wear masks and all right. those kinds of things. But ultimately there there's risk in life. Mm -hmm. And um, I never want to belittle anyone who chooses to keep their child home or 
indeed belittle them for sending their child to school too because it's sort of we've got people going both ways with right. this stuff and they'll need to make a decision uh, that's going to work for them I, I will tell them that yes that can be a number of different sort of crossover bubbles but you know again you're in crossover bubbles in other parts of your life as well and um, I think people focus on school because um, it has an emotional attachment and it's our children. One of the things I found interesting when I've, as you can imagine, I've had lots of phone calls and emails and so on. Um, people are the most concerned about their youngest children. And I understand that mm. psychologically. And, but scientifically, if, if you want to be concerned about children, it's the, it's the 16 year olds, not the six year olds right. um, that are the most likely to, to have a risk. And then also to bring it home to other people in your yeah. in your family um, you know and we do by the way have other options of hospital homebound and so on for children with uh, medical uh, concerns and so on uh, but I, I don't know that we can ever really truly reassure someone who is um, so concerned or afraid of this virus which does need to be respected mm -hmm. and so they need to be respected and if they need a different option then we have to provide something else it's just a challenge that when you make decisions there's other things you can't do I mean if you go to Summit DL that's fantastic but you're not getting metal work that's just that's how, how that goes right yeah it can't it yeah. can't be offered there's that's some right. things we just cannot do Correct. and cannot offer and right. it just never will be I think part of the problem is wrapping our heads around the fact that those young children who are just picture a kindergartner snot nosed yeah. and touching yeah. everything yeah that they're not passing it along, that they're not bringing it home and passing it on to the rest of us, our grandpa who's immunocompromised or yeah. whoever else that we love dearly. Yeah. And part of it is just looking into the research a little bit and trying to slowly wrap your head around that because it is very counterintuitive to what we've all learned all sure. these years. We send our kids to school in September and then our whole house gets sick for two months, right? <laughs> That's what we're used to. Correct. But these measures that are being put in place are really going to help with that and in ways that have never been done before because... There is an interesting science experiment going on, yeah, right? I, yeah. I was thinking like since March, I haven't been sick once. And um, did you knock, you didn't I'm knock not on saying oh, I am not saying that I never washed my hands before, <laughs> but I am saying I've washed my hands more than I used to. More for sure. thoroughly right. as well. More th yeah, I they, definitely you know. was not washing my hands right. for 20 seconds. And, and I mean, there's also conjecture this is going to lead to some really nasty flu that right. survives through all yeah, this. Who yeah, knows? Yeah. And because we're weakening our immune systems. Correct. But it is interesting um, that sort of giant social and medical experiments we are kind of doing by mm -hmm. all of the actions we're doing and what this means for flu season and so on. Yeah. Pretty interesting. I mean, I think we're just all following through a lot more because I definitely always announced before recess snack and lunch to go wash your hands, yep. but only in the younger grades did I really enforce it. Everyone line up, blah, blah, blah. Now we're enforcing it with everyone. Every time they step in the classroom, every time they come in from outside, they, it, my daughter complained so much about how much yeah. she had to wash her hands. If you, if you look at the history of public education, if you go back to kind of 1900 or whatever, one of the things that would happen back in the good old days is that the teacher would inspect the fingernails mm -hmm. of the children. And that was at a time before vaccines and all those sorts of things. And so this was really important hygiene mm -hmm. work that they were doing. Right. And of course, all that kind of went away as vaccines came in and society became cleaner and there were fewer diseases and so on. And in essence, we've had to kind of rediscover 1900 through this yeah. whole process, right? And, um, you know, another part of public education that I've alluded to in a recent letter is that this is where we all have to learn to work together, even though we disagree with each other, right. and to be respectful of each other, even though we disagree with each other. And and it's something that I think has been fading from society since 
you know the 1950s or whatever is the willingness to be able to tolerate distinct points of view and so on and you know okay I get it you don't want to wear a mask but when you enter Walmart if you want to enter Walmart you have to wear a mask right. um, I get that you want everyone to wear a mask all the time but this child is asthmatic um, or there's enough space here there's you know 20 feet between people they don't really have to wear a mask mm -hmm. so you have to respect that other people are doing slightly different things and so on and I, I hope that public education is a place that works on that with everybody but of course it's also ground zero for the actual discussion as well which right. is part of our challenge respecting other people's choices is a major major learning curve right. and Absolutely. as I taught my children all these rules and all these things and enforced them in my home they started as children do in the grocery store pointing at people and saying they're not wearing a mask <laughs> and look how close they are they're standing together and I bet they're not in one family all those people oh. can't live in the same house and then it's just a learning opportunity it's yep. embarrassing but it's also <laughs> just a learning opportunity to say those people make their choices we yes. make our choices and it's not on us to start shaming and blaming right what everyone else is doing exactly and I think that's that's a great great thing if we could all just learn that we would yep. we would be much better off Thank you very much, Angus. I think My we pleasure. can end there. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. After recording this episode, I realized there were some questions that I forgot to ask Angus, and I emailed him, and I have his answers. And also, there were some parents who had contacted me with questions, which I either um, gave to Angus or I'm answering for you now. The first one was learning groups. Um, what children are with my child in their learning group? And this is a great question. I didn't consider this as a teacher. I Maybe it just came to me, but in elementary school, the learning group number is 60. And so your principal will likely have emailed you by now with details about that. But if not, it's likely the students in your child's class that are in their group, their bubble, their cohort, whatever it's being called, learning group. And maybe one other class and different schools have the ability to do that differently. Some schools might do two grade four classes together. Some schools might do a grade four class and a grade one class, like a buddy system. It is up to the school to decide which students or which class is with your child's class, but the students in your child's class are in their bubble, their cohort, their learning group, and then likely one other class. And those numbers include the teacher. So it can, it's students, it's every person in close contact with your child. And then classes schedules have been made such that they will not be in contact with other learning groups. So that means if you've ever been in a school during the day, there's almost always one class walking down one side of the um, hallway and another class walking down the other side of the hallway. And this year through... I don't know, blood, sweat, and tears, <laughs> they, the administration has scheduled things so that that isn't happening. So they've, they have careful scheduling so that other learning groups won't be in contact with your child's learning group. And same with recess and lunch. They, they may have segregated the playgrounds to say that this group is on this playground at this time and this group is on this playground at this time. Um, or they may have made two recess times and two lunch times to keep learning groups separate. Same with the gym class, same with library class, all the other classes, the other places that your child may need to go in their school. And if you have any questions about that further, I would um, encourage you to email your principal now. They're back 
um, at work and there to answer your questions. The next question was, will high school increase the number of days that students are in school? So in the Mission District, high school students are only in class one day a week. So the answer to that is yes. If the number of people allowed in the learning groups increases, so if that number increases, um, then they can increase the number of days that high school students are in class. Or if we move to stage one, um, Angus said in our interview, the system was designed to do that. So they can keep offering all the extra courses that they offer at our high school and then also keep your child in contact with only the people in the allowable number of their learning group. So right now that's 120 for that age group. If that number goes up, then your child will be able to go to school more days a week, keeping within the limits set by Dr. Bonnie Henry. And then to the hybrid question, <laughs> this might've been um, the most, I was a little shocked by it. And then the most asked question. So a lot of parents are asking for a half and half. That's what I'm going to call it. They want some time of their child in class and some time with their child doing what I would call remote learning. And again, as um, Angus cautioned, we want to be careful with our languaging. So when I say remote learning, I'm talking about what happened when COVID hit and um, schools closed and then they came back with remote learning. So it was your child's classroom teacher providing um, instruction either online or um, emailing you worksheets or however your teacher figured that whole crazy time out. Thank you, teachers. <laughs> I wasn't doing it. Um, that would be called remote learning. So a lot of parents are asking for some remote learning provided by their child's classroom teacher and then also having their child in class. And at this time, we're in stage two. And stage two has been stated by the Ministry of Education in British Columbia to be focused on in-class instruction. So there's no option at this time in stage two for a mixture of in-class and remote learning with your child's regular classroom teacher. If you would like to do online learning, so where your child is not in class, your choice is to go to distributed learning, which in Mission Public Schools is Summit Learning Center. And then what Mission has done is they will hold your seat at your regular school. So usually if you register your child in a different class, you lose your spot at your school you're in right now. You cannot have your child registered in two schools. And that's because of money. Money is filtered to schools based on numbers of students so that they can get supplies and teachers and all the things they need. So what mission is doing is giving you the option to do distributed learning until a time when you can come back to your regular school and you can come back to your regular school at certain times during the year. And right now that looks like the beginning of a month you could choose to return when a term ends or a natural break in the school year. So think Christmas break, um, spring break, those kinds of things. And the reason for that is if you take your child out of their typical classroom and you go to distributed learning where a certified teacher will provide you with um, learning activities for your child, that's spoken about earlier in the episode, and then you bring them back you take them out of their class and you put them into distributed learning and then back into their class 
that back and forth is going to have educational and financial impact associated with it. That's a quote from Angus. And I would say as a teacher, that's going to have significant educational and social um, impact on your child. So the continuity of instruction is huge. That's a major part of having, you know, that one or two teachers teaching your children. And if it's, if you do have team teaching happening, those teachers are talking constantly and making sure that they cover the whole entire curriculum and, and that will be done. But if the distributed learning teacher is doing, say, for example, the science curriculum on magnets, and then you come back to your in-class and at that time, now they're starting the unit on magnets, your child's going to miss one unit of science. And okay, maybe not a big deal, but that's something to consider. Maybe if it's science, it doesn't sound like as big a deal, but if your child's missing fractions or decimals or how to write an essay, it, it might be more of a significant lapse in their, in their year. So that's something to consider. And I also would urge you when you're looking at other districts, I looked into a few other districts and their hybrid models and just read the fine print because um, I looked into say Surrey, for example, and Surrey has what, what parents are calling a hybrid model, but students are attending their, their in-class instruction is one afternoon a week and then going up to two or three afternoons a week. So it's this um, transitioning back to in-class instruction. But if you do read the all of the writing on the website like I did it says students will be in multi-aged and possibly multi-school groupings so when they come back to regular class or excuse me in-class instruction they're not I think parents are envisioning they're doing online learning with their children and then their child's going back to their regular teacher in that regular classroom setting that we all can just picture right now if we think about September and that regular class with one teacher that your child is connected with is what makes learning and education hit, sink in, matter to your children. And so if the transition hybrid model is one where your child is in in class for one afternoon a week or two move, moving up to two or three afternoons a week, but they're with a group of children that they're not connected with and a teacher that they don't know very well. It might not be the same. It might not be what you think it is. So I just encourage you to really think about that. Think about your child and make the decision that is best. And also a lot of those hybrid models have a must transition back. So they're there only for a short time. It's not a model that will continue until June at this time. And um, some districts, they must transition back by November and then other ones, it's by January. But all of them are meant to be a short term, um, a short term option for you. And so at this time, I just like to say thank you so much for being here. And I truly hope that this has helped you make this decision and it's it's not an easy one none of this is easy none of any of covid has been easy and i just like to remind you that taking 
the fear out of your decision will make it easier. And you can sit there and think easier said than done, or how do I do that? And I know it's hard, but I, I think it can be done. And I think if you can find a place or a moment or 20 minutes, center yourself, sit somewhere quiet with your partner or not, if you're the one making the decision and just think about your child, your family, and then the options that are available to you. Make the decision that is best and know that you did the best with what you had at the time. If you think in a week that you've made a mistake, you ha- you still have options then. And please remember that having the option is such a gift for us that we can sit here and weigh our options and have all these choices because there's a lot of people that don't, a lot of schools that aren't opening like this, a lot of places that COVID is still such a problem that none of these things are even available to their children. Thank you so much for listening. I would love to hear from you. My email is charlene at playfuljoyparenting.com.